The Gadget Guy on Cambridge 105 Radio. And here's Rob Lawrence and guest. Yes. <laughs> Hello and welcome along to uh, Gadget Guide number 125, uh, the sixth one of 2018. And we're going to be talking all things Whizpar in a couple of moments' time. We're uh, joined this evening in the studio by, uh, by special guest Mark Turner. Uh, some of you might remember that name and, uh, and voice from, uh, from Days Gone By and Cambridge 105 Radio. Welcome back, Mark. Thanks, Rob. It's good to be back here. I'm on the wrong side of the desk, though. Julian's in my chair. <laughs> I'm sure we'll hand over if you ask nicely. <laughs> Uh, anyway, today we're uh, we're, we're going to be talking about Whizpar, which has has launched. But first of all, a quick look, as we always do, at the technology news. Uh, Maplin, everyone's favourite maybe not anymore, high street retailer. Uh, yeah, your place to buy electronics, but toys, games, things with batteries. Yes. Batteries themselves. That, that's true for when they're not included. Uh, they, they, of course, went into administration uh, a short while ago. Basically, doesn't look good for them at all. They, they've been looking for a buyer for the business, um, not looking like it's doing too well so far. They're now doing the sort of the, the everything must go closing down sales, which is is never really a good sign. No, and I think they are trying to realise as much value out of all the stock that they've got sitting in warehouses as well as obviously in stores around the country. And this is really a cash flow thing, isn't yeah. it? It's getting enough money coming into the, into the bank account so they can pay staff, they can pay suppliers. Clear Close out debts. leases, make shops good for other tenants and so on if they have to, yes. Yeah. So, so 217 stores at the moment in the UK, looking like a lot of those could be closed. Fairly soon, yes. Yeah. Uh, um, lots of deals on Maplin's website, so go to maplin.co.uk, browse through the closing down and the clearance pages. Um, all the prices are already showing the discounts. Now, it's interesting because I've heard two sets of stories from, from people who've looked through these, which is, on the one hand, a friend said, oh, I've just gone and cleared out a whole load of stuff. I've bought sort of 20 quids worth of stuff for a pound. Yep. Um, you know, boxes of bolts and washers and that sort of thing, some of the yeah. old vellum and small, soldering small kits. parts and components have certainly been well discounted. And the other thing I've heard is, but I can't think of anything I want. There is that slight worry, isn't there? Which is maybe a little bit of a testament to, to why they're in this situation. They, there, there was a very interesting article doing the rounds a, a few weeks back where it Maplin effectively outcompeted itself. Yeah. It, it was one of the very early catalogue stores. Yeah, the, the idea was they ran it out of someone's back bedroom in, in the first instance. They launched this enormous catalogue. People bought things through mail People order. People bought the catalogue to start People with. bought the catalogue, I know. I know. It, okay, it, it came with money off vouchers for the value of the catalogue, but still. Exactly. Um, but, yeah, that, that used to be where it was excelling over the high street stores. They had very little outgoings because they didn't have a lot of expensive retail premises. Um, and if could, you walked in and they didn't have in stock, they'd get it for you for yeah. the next day to the store. And, you know, it was before we were used to going to an Amazon or an eBay and going, I want this tomorrow, and it turns up tomorrow. But in a sense, they did Amazon before Amazon. Yes. Um, but then they shifted to this very retail-fronted thing. They spent a lot of money on having some very nice in places stores. And that, of course, yeah, nice increased their Nice displays of items which you could see... Whereas online retailers, of course, you can't see it, pick it up, go and actually play with... But that pushed the costs up. Yep. And, and of course, Amazon doesn't have People would walk costs. in, look at the latest toy from a, a drone manufacturer or an audio manufacturer and go, that's very nice. Go online and buy it from Amazon for mm. either the same or less. Uh, so you, you sort of have to wonder, if they hadn't gone that route, if they stuck to their original sort of catalogue-based thing... Would they still be with would us? Would they still be with us, or would they have just got killed by Amazon even earlier? I don't know. 
But anyway, quick look through the deals. A lot of stuff is now very close to Amazon's pricing. Interestingly, some of the Amazon electronic devices, so things like the Amazon Echo Spot, yes. is currently discounted on Apple and better than Amazon. Oh, interesting. So I think they're trying to clear some of that stock because probably money tied up in it. Yes, definitely. Um, so yeah, have a browse, but go and compare prices. You know, it's easy to check online what someone else is selling it for, so do that before you buy it um, just from Maplin. Okay, so another story that's uh, that's in the news at the moment, this is on the, uh, the Think Broadband uh, forums, is that Cambridgeshire is getting £4 million to fund the rollout of fibre broadband. Um, this is an interesting... This, the, this is sort of tied up with all the business development UK and that, that sort of uh, uh, grant funding. So it's £4 million from the central government, yes. from the Chancellor... To, to improve internet access. ...connecting Cambridgeshire. And they're, they're talking about a, a stretch of fibre optic running between St Ives and Linton. Right. So that arc of... Uh, area where they're talking about where transport those, upgrades yeah, and infrastructure parks, upgrades, that sort of thing. Lots of business park, as you said. Um, you know, you've got routes along that being improved. The four to eight is scheduled for a, a dueling when the A14 is upgraded. Yep. So all those sort of upgrades, and they're at least thinking about the fact that people are going to want to live along the stretch and do business along it. Better broadband is obviously an important thing. Now, what's interesting is that looking at the goals is this 40k stretch of fibre, fibre upgrades to about 30 public buildings. This is schools, libraries, that sort of thing. Supporting business access to new fibre networks. This is all very much business focused, isn't yes. it? This is not consumer. This isn't no. going to improve what you get at home. No. This is, this is all about the people who've got the budgets to spend on lots of broadband you know at home we're wanting to spend less than 50 quid on average for good broadband that's generally what yep. the consumers want whereas your businesses want to get reliable high speed oh, lots of bandwidth right. and uh, yeah i know you've had some experience with isps over the last uh, week yes as as reliability and, and lack of but you know businesses are generally spending hundreds to thousands of pounds a month on their broadband because they're expecting lots of bandwidth in both directions which is the important thing and reliability. They want 100% uptime. And of course, this is driving into the sort of the economic prosperity of the area. If you're trying to make it more attractive as a place for businesses to set up, that then makes it more attractive as a place for people to live because there's the jobs, there's the high-tech industry, all of that sort of thing. And presumably, this is trying to, to spread that affluence outside of Cambridge City. You know, Cambridge yes. City is, is pretty good. Um, but once you get out into those slightly more rural areas connectivity becomes a challenge that means that businesses tend to congregate towards the city and of course we've got yeah. all the transport you know, one, problems one of the around here and businesses look for now when they're thinking about moving is what is my connectivity option yep. before i even look at what's it going to cost for the rent yeah um lastly just looking at facebook uh, on the back of the cambridge analytica uh, stories going around the press how can you well are you going to delete facebook now. It's a tough one, isn't it? So if you do decide to delete Facebook, you can download your entire data set. So this is all yep. your photos, all your posts, all your messages. You, they're fairly easy to find. Just Google how to download your Facebook profile. Um, and a lot of people, if they are going to divorce Facebook, should think about, you know, save your data. You might as well. Uh, it gives you a large zip file with all of your content yep. in it. Um, but if you're going to stick with it, how can you clean up and tidy yourself up to be less of a footprint for a Cambridge Analytica-type scrape. And a lot of this comes down to not necessarily Facebook itself. It's the apps 
else that you've shared data yep. with. Yep, it's how you've actually interacted with things that have appeared in other people's timelines. Yeah, this generally. is where, when you've played Candy Crush or or whatever. You know, it's logging into those things with when Facebook, you've adding that cat them video to the, from a viral yep. networking page. You yep. might not, you, you know, a friend might have posted this cat picture. You might have thought cute cat picture, liked it, not thinking that that was posted by a viral news page, which means that viral news page is now captured and said, Rob likes fuzzy cat pictures. Now, there is one setting that will turn a lot... Now, I say this, this will remove some of the value that Facebook adds as well. So, you know, don't expect nothing to change apart from you to share less data. (laughs) Yeah, there is a setting, and if you go into the Facebook privacy settings, there's something which says Facebook platform. Okay, so you can go into that and it'll say platform is on, and you can turn that off. That will remove a lot of access but it'll also remove some functionality. So if you if you rely on that, then just be a little bit careful. There's some really good explanations of what exactly it does. Um, but you can revoke a lot of permissions from apps that you've connected. You can revoke access to your profile to a lot of apps, and you can turn off the platform entirely. If you just use Facebook for the basic, I want to read what my friends have had for dinner last night. So one thing I found that's worth doing is if you go to facebook.com slash settings, that gets yep. you to the settings page, there's the ads tab on the left-hand side. Exactly that. Click through to that. You've got your ad preferences it's got all the things that you've liked, so your interests show up. You can then go through and delete things and go, you know, I've got tagged in there Top Gear. Well, okay, uh, yeah, that used to be a thing. Click delete. Yeah. And you can remove things like that from your interests. It does take a while to go through because you've got to keep clicking show more and it goes pages and, and you go, did I really click like on all of these things? And you go, yeah, I need to actually do a bit of cleanup. You know, Angry Birds, well, that's an app that's long gone. Um, so you go through and you clean up those sort of things. It will reduce your footprint. Yeah, it's the app settings. So just above the ads. So again, facebook.com slash settings. If you go to the apps tab there, there's a big box that says apps, websites and plugins. And if you hit the edit button, there's a big disable. So if and you just want some news, all the plugins. that'll cut it back down to more like so, what it was five years, ten so years ago. How to reduce your Facebook pr- footprint worth having an explore. There we go. We'll be check in a couple of minutes and talking to Mark Turner about, well, maybe an alternative to Facebook. The Gadget Guy on Cambridge 105 Radio. And welcome back from the break. And welcome to Mark Turner from Wizpar. Hi, Lawrence. Rob. Evening. So... We've just been talking about Facebook and privacy settings and all social media. There's a lot of concern about this. Wizpar is new to... Is is it fair to say the social media space? Yes. I mean, we, we're we playing the long game and gradually rolling out different sets of features. So, so what, what what's it all about for okay. those who haven't heard of it? Okay. Right now, we're targeting publishers in Cambridge. So Peter Dore and I, who are behind Wizpar, uh, many... A couple of years ago, we were looking at how has email changed over the years, or messaging changed. I mean, we were both back at the uh, back in the early '90s at the birth of the internet in the UK, and lots of things have changed. Lots of things have got prettier, but messaging has more or less stayed the same. Other yeah, you than might the, use a different app for it. Yeah, and the content's got prettier pictures now than it did yeah. twenty years ago. Send, more Send an emoji or a yeah, a, but it doesn't really do of... anything different. No. So what we're putting together is a. Uh, what we started doing was putting together a set of tools that allow other people to build social media apps based around messaging. Right. <laughs> then we realised that, hang on a minute, no one will use our tools unless they can see what they do. So we put together the Wispar social media platform as an example. Then we're surprised at how much interest we were getting by Wispar. So now we've decided to carry on the two streams in parallel. Right. 
And that, that's been done in a phased sort of approach. So our current focus is uh, publishers. So we've recently been talking to lots of publishers around Cambridge and we've been trying to look at how to help them get the content that's currently in their paper publications into people's pockets on their phones. So from a from an end user point of view, this is uh, an app for your mobile phone, presumably? It's, it's an app called Wizpar, W-I-Z-P-A-R, on iOS and Android. Okay. Uh, the content you see in there completely depends on what streams, streams of articles, you subscribe to. And now, as an example, to get some content in there before we had any publishers working with us, we created a couple of hundred streams that we call the Cambridge Whispers. So we we had a look at what's popular in Cambridge. Okay, we've got lots of students, lots of high-tech business. There's actually lots of art, lots of sport. Everyone's keen on food. Yeah, food and drink. Uh, so we set up a couple of hundred streams about various topics. Uh, we've done some work with the, the university and the colleges. So we set up streams for each of the colleges, departments, etc. So presumably as, as a reader, I would... I would say, okay, I'm interested in food and I'm in Cambridge. Suggest me some content? Not it's, quite. Okay. No, that, that's coming down the line. Uh, at the moment, you need to know the name of the stream that you're interested in. Okay, so I might, I might go to a, a business that I'm interested in uh, hearing more from. And they'll tell me, okay, they, you they'll need to have subscribe. a link through to the relevant whisper right, stream. That's right. Yes. So, for example, something like the Portland Arms, I might say, I'm interested in your music events. Would they have a stream for that? Uh, we don't have one for Portland Arms, but we do have one for live music in Cambridge. Right. So, Portland would be contributing to that, and so would the likes of the Boathouse. Yes. Now, the way that we're doing it at the moment is we pull content from RSS feeds, which are you know, it's a, a common feature on med, uh, websites these days to allow you to publish your content to other applications. Right. And from Twitter feeds. Okay, so you're doing a bit of, of curating of Twitter content to a degree. So yes. I don't have to go, I've got to go and follow 40 people on Twitter to work out what's live music in that's, Cambridge. That's exactly it. The curation is the key and then complete with any filtering that the publisher... So, I was going to say, from, from that, how is this different to uh, someone who has like a public Twitter list, for example, where they're pulling together maybe a number of accounts on, on some topics? So uh, Cambridge 105 Radio has, has some lists where we... Uh, similarly, yeah, have it, it's, some it's of different music in, venues. Different in two ways. Uh, first, with a Twitter list, you can't then filter those tweets. Right. So if you, so if it's not your, necessarily every tweet from the Portland Arms. You might only want ones that include the word live or music. Mm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't need to know about their latest burger special, for example. Exactly. Oh, clearly, we do. Yeah. <laughs> well, you do. <laughs> yeah. Now that I want in a food stream. Now, as I said, that we'd curated two hundred <laughs> streams. Yep. We don't want to be publishers. Right. So we're inviting anyone to come along and curate a stream. Uh, so we're talking to proper publishers, you know, publishing houses with publications, you know, sometimes tens of publications. But special interest groups as well. Yeah, anyone can create a stream. So maybe your local, I don't know, hockey club, um, you may want to stream for your band. Or maybe it's a group of friends that share common interests. And, yeah. and is it something you're imagining that... Um, a, a company would have a stream for themselves and, and another company would have another stream or 
Uh, in other words, do you, do you end up with effectively one stream per company or organisation, or maybe multiple streams per, per company? That's or, com- or is it something well, that, slightly that's completely different? up to both you as a reader and the company and anyone else that wants to curate a stream. Right. So as part of Cambridge Whispers, we have streams for Cambridge Biotech, yeah. uh, Cambridge Business, Cambridge Entre- Entrepreneurs, etc., etc. And you might feed into multiple ones of those because yes. you, you yeah, cross over right. those. Now, a company may wish to have some streams that they use internally for research purposes. No, maybe so, collecting data from all of your competitors. Twitter does that mean and RSS. those streams are private in some way? Uh, it's completely configurable by the owner of the stream. Okay, so a company could use it internally. Yes. Yep. Without the wider internet being able to access that stream, uh, if exactly. they decided. Yeah. Interesting. And the, and so we, you've got the uh, the app that that reads this. Um, how how would someone find this different to something like Feedly or um, some yeah, yeah play flip, news Flipboard is the flip, one that we get compared with yeah, most often. Uh, yes, yeah. yeah. um, Google News is the, Tell you the what, old school Google fl- News. Flipboard, I found I put in a bunch of stuff I was interested in, and it started throwing stuff at me I wasn't. But but yeah, yeah this the, sort of application. See, we're we're approaching it from a slightly different angle. With Flipboard, other people are curating the the feeds that are coming right. towards you. Right. Uh, with Wispar, you can subscribe to someone, create your own feed based on someone else's feed, filter it further, so you're refining right. it over time. Okay. And and if I dare mention analysing data, <laughs> which is a, a bit of a hot hot potato at the moment. Um, we we do collect data on your mobile phone right. about which streams you're reading, yeah, uh, which articles you're opening, and how long you spend on each article. Uh, and what is it you're you're doing with that? Yeah, we're we're using that data at the moment to work out what sort of content we think you like. We're currently doing absolutely nothing. Nothing is sent back to our servers. It right. only lives on your device. And the functionality isn't actually turned on for most of our users. But what we're going to do is rank or sort the articles that you've downloaded in the streams that you've already subscribed to and try to show you the ones first that we think you're most interested in. Mm. So (laughs) So my only question about you storing that on my device. Yep. Do I lose all of that if I lose my device? Or is there some way for me to back that up into my Google Drive or my Dropbox? Uh, you lose it at the moment because we're deliberately not storing it anywhere else or allowing even you to access it. Right. Because we're being, we're, we're looking at all the GDPR stuff, you know, the new European yes. data protection legislation. We're so looking if, at, if it's my information, I'd like to be able to back it up and put it on yeah. the device if I get a new phone, for example. Yeah. It would be nice if you did have a, access a one day, but you. yeah. <laughs> Lots on the to-do list. So um, we'll probably have to get you back again in a few months' time and see how the next version is going. Or I guess the obvious question, how much is it going, is it going to cost? For the publishers, nothing. And for the users? Nothing. Where's the money? Uh, right now, we're self-funded. And as I said before, we're playing the long game. So we're, we're gradually building features. We're rapidly running out of time. I can see Julian staring at the <laughs> clock. <laughs> yeah. So keep, keep an eye on it. Wizpar.com, W-I-Z-P-A-R.com. That's Find right. it in your app stores. Thanks, Mark. And we'll Thanks, speak Mark. to you Thank soon, you. I'm sure.